I have a quiz for you. <laughs> because now you're going to demonstrate to Braden that you have been paying attention through 1 John. Is everybody ready? Yeah. It's open book, too, if you want. That's up to you. It's just a couple of quick questions. Because you may remember, the last time I preached, I was talking about studying the Bible, and what was the word I kept saying about studying the Bible? Well, there's my validation gone. That's okay. <laughs> context. You have to take the message in context. You have to take the scripture in context. A friend of mine uh, on Facebook posted uh, last night, he has this thing, occasionally he throws up his favorite out of context verse. And it's, this one is from Jeremiah, and God is saying, get a gra drink a glass of wine, get drunk, and throw up. That's a great out of context verse. Right? Because really, if that was a command, a lot of people would have that lined up. <laughs> but it's not. It's out of context. So we have to keep things in context. So, what was last week's message about? Loving your brothers and sisters. What else? Hating. Hating. Hating your brothers and sisters. And one of those is bad and one of those is good. Anybody got that? Wh which one is good? <laughs> All right, that's good. When we look at 1 John, we have to understand who's writing. So who's writing? Who is John? This is not going to work well with the mask. <laughs> okay, yes. Who is this John? Is this John the Baptist? No. Jesus is BFF. Oh, we're in the Facebook realm. <laughs> Jesus' best friend, the guy who outlived all the others, the longest-lived apostle. And when he writes, in this letter particularly, he's writing with a goal. What is his goal for the letter? We'll get back to that. We're looking today at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Verses uh, 12 to 14 are a classic example of the writing style, not just of John, but of people who are speaking from the Lord. Because something happens here. And I'm just curious because you guys kind of knew this was the next section. How many of you read this over beforehand? Okay. How many of you saw the cartoon I posted? Oh, that's cute. Thank you. <laughs> the first verses here, 12 to 14, are repetition. 
What is repetition used for? Emphasis. Emphasis. It's emphasis. They say it and they say it and they say it so that we understand that this is important. Now, if you read this out of context, it doesn't entirely make sense. It's an odd section of scripture, which is why context is so important. The whole of the second chapter needs to be read together because it is an included, inclusive message that brings a thought together. Children, I am writing you because your sins have been forgiven in the name of Christ. Parents, I am writing you because you have known the one who was there from the beginning. Young people, I am writing you because you have defeated the evil one. Children, I am writing you because you have known the Father. Parents, I am writing you because you have known the one who was there from the beginning. Young people, I am writing you because you are strong. God's message is firm in your hearts and you have defeated the evil one. This is a very important message. So I'm gonna cut through all those questions that I usually ask you to try and draw the answer out because I'm just gonna throw this out because it's really important and we need this. John is saying this to remind and reassure the readers that he knows of their salvation. They are saved. This is very important for the next portion of scripture which refers to the cartoon that I published or posted. It was a P word. I knew I had it there someplace. For those of you who didn't see, you've probably seen this cartoon someplace because it is very widely used. It's a little dog with a hat on sitting at a table, what looks like a restaurant. And the restaurant is all on fire. And he's sitting there with a contented look on his face. And he's just saying, this is fine as the fire rages around him. Verse 15. Don't love the world or anything that belongs to the world. If you love the world, you cannot love the Father. Our foolish pride comes from this. World. And so do our selfish desires and our desire to have everything we see. None of this comes from the Father. The world and the desires it causes are disappearing. But if we obey God, we will live forever. This is the part where I tell you about the process of writing this sermon. I wrote, and then I tossed, <laughs> and then I wrote, and then I tossed, and three different times I had a package to send to Braden and say, here it is. <laughs> no, I can't do that. And finally, I did something novel. I listened to God. 
I know, it's shocking. Why would I do that? It spoils all of my plans. I have these great plans. You guys would be so impressed with me. And I would have like really cool videos and images and, and I had a little science experiment. And God said no. He said to keep it simple. So here it is. Who loves this building? Seriously, we've talked about this a lot. Put your hand up if you love this building. This building is gonna burn. This building will be destroyed. We used to have a building on the corner of Douglas Avenue and Main Street. It is a rotting hulk. That building served well for over 100 years. When we were in Poland, we saw buildings that were hundreds, in fact, one building that was over a thousand years old, made out of stone. It lasts better than wood in our dampness. But those buildings are collapsing. It's all going to be destroyed. Everything here on earth, including our bodies. I am going to die. You ready to hear it? You are going to die unless the Lord comes back now, which I'm all for because I haven't done my taxes yet. And I, every year I ask him the same way. It sounds like a lame joke. I wish I was joking. I have a same prayer that I pray every year as I'm gathering up my stuff. Now would be good, Lord. <laughs> Don't love the world. This is really hard because we do. It is beautiful. It is a creation of God's hand. But that's not the world that John is referring to. He's not talking about the planet. Because honestly, it doesn't make any difference if we love this planet or not. It's kind of nice if we take care of it reasonably well. Like if you're, if you're loaned something, you, you want to take good care of it. So that when you give it back, the person who loaned it doesn't hate you. Or charge you money. The world that John is talking about, that world is us. It's society. It's culture. It's, it's human pride and hubris. Our foolish pride comes from this world and so do our selfish desires and our desire to have everything we see. How many of you actually see stuff that I post on Facebook? I'm kind of curious. How many of you saw the, the picture of the two TV sets from the Superstore? So I got a message even before I got home. Hazel said, are we getting a new TV set? <laughs> but I saw them and I thought, gee, that's, that's a pretty good price you know, for not bad TV sets, I'll, I'll stick them on because sometimes people don't see this stuff. 
there was a lineup at that pile. You can't see it from the pictures. People just walking up, picking up a TV set, off they go. And what actually kind of hurt was when Hazel said to me, are we getting a new TV set? Because we have a bunch. <laughs> How many do we have, Jada? We've got four? And that doesn't include laptops or cell phones. But what happens when we walk, because this happens to me, when I go into Costco and they have the most beautiful ones right there with that gorgeous picture on that you look like you could just step into and it makes me want a new TV set. It makes me love technology. And that's the wrong love. How long does a TV set last now? Who here has a TV set that they're still using that is over 10 years old? <laughs> Who here has one that's over 20 years old? <laughs> Who has one that's more than 40 years old? That's cool. <laughs> but you notice how the number kept dwindling for two reasons. One, because they aren't designed to last. But two, because we are constantly bombarded by a message from the world, you gotta get something new. You gotta get out there and you gotta buy the latest thing. You gotta get a new car. A guy who worked with my father got a new car every two years. He would lease it. And usually, for the last two months, of that two-year period, his car sat in his driveway and he took the bus because he had too many kilometers on it. So he couldn't use it. And even though this happened to him and he would go for two months, he'd do the same thing because he always had a new car. He loved that car. If we went past his house on the weekend, you want to guess what he'd be doing? Washing the car polishing the car, doing the trim. He had a special toothbrush for cleaning his car. He loved that car. Every one of those cars, most likely now, are rusting in a junkyard. Everything that we love on this world is going to pass. The one single thing that will not pass is the Father. He is eternal. And that is where our love needs to focus. Very often, I know this goes through my head, and I've talked with enough people, and I've heard this from them, and people say things like, I, I wish I lived back in Jesus' day, because then my faith, faith would be rock solid, because you see it, right? And, and in going through the book of Acts, where they were living these miracles on a daily basis, and, and, and 
<laughs> Paul was Paul was well known as a really long-winded preacher and he's preaching at a house one night and he preaches so long that it's pretty much midnight and a guy who's sitting in a windowsill passes out, falls and dies. And so then the Lord has to send Paul down to bring him back to life. Which is really cool! <laughs> but it's during this time that the Apostle John has to write a letter in which he says to people, look guys, I know you know who he is. You've always known who he was. You believe in him. You have defeated the evil one. Sometimes people look at that and they wonder, well, how did that work? Because we became Christians. Because Satan's hold on us was broken by Jesus dying on the cross. In just a few weeks, we're gonna talk about this as we do Good Friday and Easter Sunday, or as I like to call them, Resurrection Weekend, because that's the big deal. And that saved us because we were willing to follow Jesus, we were able to defeat Lucifer. And it's during this time of miracles, it's during the time of the Bible, that the Apostle John had to write a letter to remind people not to love the world. When they saw the miracles, when Peter stood in the courtyard and denied Jesus while Jesus was standing right over there being yelled at by the leaders of Israel, and three times, the apostle Peter, who had been lifted up out of the water by Jesus, denied him. We're no better, we're no worse, we're people. We get distracted by pretty things. Ooh, shiny. And we can't. I can't. And I do. I, I get distracted. I'm famous for that. There were years when Hazel hated walking into a technology store with me. Because I'd just be like, oh, my precious. It's easy to get distracted because it's not a passive message, it's an active message. You need to have a good car. You need to have a good retirement plan. You need to have a good house. You don't have a house. You don't have savings plans. We learn this because we hear it and we repeat it. We repeat it. What do we tell our kids? Got to get a job. You need to get a good education so you can get a good job. Why do you want a job? Well, someday you want to have a house. You want to have a nice car. You want to be able to take care of your family. Sometimes we put it into church speak, right? You want to support those missionaries? You got to get a good job. Hey, 
This place isn't going to get painted on its own hook. You need to put hours in at work so that you can tithe. That's not how that works. That's not why that works. It's not wrong to work. It's not wrong to have a good job. It's wrong to make that your focus. It's wrong for me to worship my job, my car, my TV set, my clothes, my pet. And when I do, I move away from God. Which is why John writes the letter. Don't forget that you knew this. Don't forget that the people who with the riches, with the easy lives, the people who get to travel all over the world whenever they feel like it, who have the nice cars, who have all the best food on their counters, are getting their reward right now. Have you guys heard of the marshmallow test? This is a really interesting test that's being done with children. It's been done for a little while, but just in the last year, it's, it's really become popular again. And some interesting things have come out of it. Here's the test. You take a child, roughly around the age of five to seven. That's the, that's the test age. You have a marshmallow. And you say to the child, you can have the marshmallow, but... If you don't eat that marshmallow, in a few minutes, you can have two marshmallows. And the test shows which children are able to set aside their immediate gratification for greater gain down the road. Now, here's the funny part of this, because that makes sense, right? You do that little test, you see if your kid's likely to be able to save money someday or, or say, well, I'm not going to have this really awesome stuff because I'm going to wait down there. It works with octopuses. Guy ran a test about two months ago, and he found out that about 60-some percent of octopus would not eat the treat once they figured out that if they didn't eat that treat, they'd get more. Octopus. And it's pretty much to the same number of humans that do it. So here's what I want to tell you about that. There's a lot of stuff in front of you right now. Could be anything. But if you can set that aside, if you can set this world to one side, you're going to get a better one. Because we're going to a place that is our home. Anybody here buy a Tim's coffee? Ever? There we go. Yeah, Kevin still has his. Kevin, what are you going to do with that cup when you're done? 
How weird would it be if somebody went to Tim's, they got the cup, they took the cup, they dumped out the coffee, they put the lid back on and they said, I have a cup. <laughs> it's beautiful. We'd think that was a little odd, wouldn't we? Particularly if you saw them standing in the street like this. But that's what we do. This world is going to burn. We are going to die. These bodies are not permanent. But there's one coming that is. Put your eyes on that. Put your eyes on Jesus. Remember what he has done. Remember what he is doing. Remember what he is going to do. Show your love for God by pursuing him with the same hunger that you might pursue a fancy restaurant meal or a new car or a new set of fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is that has caught your eye and has distracted you. Pursue God with that same love, that dedication. Remind yourself. Because that is what leads us to our home that isn't going to fall apart. We don't want to store up treasure here on earth. We want to store up treasure in heaven where moths aren't going to destroy it, where rust isn't going to make it fall apart. We're going to pray in a second. The first moment of the prayer is going to be silent. And I would like you, during that silent part, to ask a question and to make a statement. The question is, Lord, what am I trying to love here that I shouldn't be? And give it a second. And then say to him, Lord, I love you. Help me to pursue you. <laughs>